Welcome to the fourth episode of the All Talk Podcast. I'm Michael Whalen, and with me is my co-host, Adam Hester. Mike, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. And today, uh, we are basically doing the second part of our movie theme song with Hester's bonus point system yes. episode. So, without further ado, let's dive in. I cannot believe we didn't get to this the last time, and I think it's because we, we talked about the great Tim Capello Yes, um, in his work with um, um, Lost Boys. Lost Boys, yes. yes. Um, greased up sax man. The greased up sax man. Produced the Barber Beefcake with a saxophone. So we can't talk, really, this is, is Mount Rushmore territory when you're talking about this list. Not only was Tina Turner in the movie, but she wasn't some side character in the movie. She's the main villain in the movie. Yeah. Well, Mad Max Beyond, but yeah. Yeah. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Right. She sing not only is she the 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 main focus of the uh, of Mel Gibson's angst in this movie, but she sings the song. The song mentions the movie. It's the, the music video is is a thing of beauty. It's got the kids at the end singing in the the you know the the chorus. Right. It's Amazing on a number of, of levels that I I don't even know if I if if you gave me an hour on this movie I don't know if I could fully appreciate like get it out how much I love this just reach over here and write down notes for future episodes and okay anyway <laughs> yeah um I've I guess a fair amount to say about Mad Max mm -hmm. uh this was probably Looking back on, I guess, it was the first Mad Max I saw. I suspect it's the first Mad Max a lot of people in our age group saw because, Probably right, for yeah. one thing, it was the first one that was like, you know, PG. Yeah. Or maybe it was P. Refresh my memory on that. Um, I'll find it. I was going to say, it might have been before the cutoff. It, you know, it may, yeah, it, it, it's. I'm not seeing it here, but it, it it may be one of those before the yeah. rating system change. And a side note on that, there are a lot of PG movies that you will see that's just thinking, oh, well, it's just PG, mm -hmm. and how do they get away with, and right. then you find out, oh, it was pre-PG-13 era. In any case, this might have been, or maybe it wasn't. Who's to say? Just the internet apparently isn't it, working. Apparently, yeah, it was downgraded to a PG-13. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. But in any case, like I said, I think this was, in a lot of cases, our first brush with Mad Max. Uh, I did see The Road Warrior as well, but I think this is the one that I probably saw the most growing up. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And had the most memory of because, and largely because, like you said, Tina Turner was in it. Like, I think Tina Turner being in it at that time probably was a bigger deal to me than Mel Gibson being in it. Like, oh, yeah. it hadn't really yeah, yeah, sunk yeah. in yet. For us. Yeah. yeah. Because you almost work backwards. Because you're right, this is the first one that I remember being born in 82. This came out in 85. 85. And so this was the first one I, I saw. This was the first one that I remember. This is the first one I know I got, I got a reaction out of. And then it was, oh, wait, there's there's two more. Right. Actually, the first one I think is my least favorite. Like it was the one that I saw, I've seen the fewest amount of times. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a better way to say it. I actually didn't see the first one for quite a while. Yeah. Like not – I mean, no, we're wrong. It's not like I just first saw it three years ago or mm -hmm. anything, but it's one that I didn't, it was probably, I don't know, you know, 10, 15 years on from this time period when right. I finally realized I had never actually seen Mad Max proper. Right. And again, it kind of goes back to, you know, one of the many things we've talked about before, but lack of access to just a big database where you can just check and, oh, there's this many of these things, you right. know, like for a lot of people, Mad Max and the Road Warrior were interchangeable. So 
I mean, come to think of it, I'll go ahead and go on this tangent. That's how I first saw Conan the Barbarian. Like, okay. my instructions, I think, as a small child to, like, my dad or my brother, whoever was going to, you know, the local video store was, rent Conan. Okay. You know, I meant Conan the Destroyer, the PG-rated yeah, right. Right. Conan the Destroyer. And they brought home the very dark, very grim, very <laughs> R-rated Conan the Barbarian. Steve Jones Jones doing with his face. Yeah. yeah. And it left a, quite the impression on the wee lad who oh, saw it at imagine. probably the ripe old age of four. And yeah. still my favorite movie to this day. Yeah. So there we are. But yeah. But, but the song itself, <laughs> I, I mean... <laughs> When you go back, I'm trying to to see if there was a um a, a, the chart position. Um, Thunder don't reach number one in Canada, number two in the United States, number three in the British singles charts. Yeah, sounds about right. That's I kind of figured it would have been number one, but that's pretty yeah. solid. Yeah. Won a Grammy for best rock vocal that year as well. Right. That's, was it nominated for an Academy Award or? It's not. It's not saying if it was. Yeah, and I will say just back to just Mad Max in general for a second. Uh. It's my personal opinion, like pound for pound, probably Fury Road is the best of them because it's George Miller basically getting to completely deliver the vision that he clearly had when he started the whole thing. Right. And it's like, okay, special effects, et cetera, have now caught up to where he can. Yes. That's that's not a bad so, point. Yeah. Tom Hardy is also a guy who is not going to uh, make anybody ma- – you know, a lot of times when we're trying to replace these icons and these roles and they announce who it is, there's just backlash, right? Right, and, and no matter who plays Batman, everybody's pissed off. But but Robert uh, Robert Pattinson is an especially heinous choice, I must say. But <laughs> I'm, yes, continue. I'm willing to give him a chance. Um, Tom Tom anyway. Hardy is one of those guys where it's like, oh wait, Tom's picking up the mantle. Oh yeah, okay, let's let's do this. this yeah, is gonna, this is going to be fine. Like, and he, I think he was rumored for like Bond a couple of years ago, and that's another one that mm-hmm. everybody has something bad to say about. And then it's him. I was like. Ooh, oh, that sounds good. That sounds intriguing. Let's go with that. And, of course, as it turned out, uh, Daniel Craig came back, So sure. at least for one more. So there we are. But still. As far as the song goes, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the lyrics talking about out of the ruins, out of the wreckage, can't make the same mistakes again. We're the children, the last generation. Right. And then it mentions Thunderdome. I mean, it's it's talking about the movie, and it's talking about the kids at the end, you know, yes. that are trying to find their way home. And, and it – for so many different reasons, it resonates with me. This movie, the song, the I, I get an instant like rush of happiness when it comes on uh, satellite radio, or when I see the video on MTV Classic, which yeah. uh, happens more than you think, and I got no issue with it. Um, this is a movie that I will stop and watch at any point when it's on, mm-hmm. uh, and so this for me is right up there with the the just the top of the top when it comes to this particular category. I'm with you on that. I. I guess have distinctly less to say about the song than you do, but <laughs> I agree with you. Like I said, that was the gateway drug for me, so to speak, as far as Mad Max went, that movie, that song, that video, and lifelong fan right. since. So and I think the, the both of us were probably well ahead of the curve of uh, uh, post-apocalyptic movies. Oh, that's in the that's in the description. Uh, say no more. Yeah. Now it's like uh, they, you know it's every other week, but. Uh, I'm all. I was especially then as a kid. I think that's mm-hmm. this is where it started when I saw this movie. It was all. Uh, wait, there's a movie coming out that's post-apocalypse. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out because it might be like Thunderdome. Right. So all aboard on this one. Definitely same as or same here. Let's see. Moving along here. Stan Bush. Stan Bush. The touch from Transformers the movie. 
Which, the animated movie. The, the animated, good one, yeah. I should stress. <laughs> the one that... Uh, the sent, one that doesn't make people throw popcorn and yell sure. about their ruined childhoods. The, the animated movie that uh, made many many a young boy uh, cry into his popcorn, and into his, his uh, Juji Fruits or whatever is your movie food of choice. You can't kill Optimus Prime? You can't kill Optimus Prime. But, What's the matter with but, you? But that's, yeah. Here's the thing about the song, though, and this is why it's, it's, it's just fantastic. I... Did not know this song was on anything to do with Transformers. This was a song from Boogie Nights. This was the song that that Dirk Diggler and and the uh, uh, gosh whatever John C. Riley's character was uh, can't think of his name either. Yeah, but yeah I know who you're talking about. They remember this is one of the two songs that they were when they were trying to get their recording deal. Nice. And so that's where that's what it was to me. And so I went and saw the video rank completely randomly on YouTube. It was like the next song that played after something that I had watched, and I just didn't get there in time to stop it. Right. And I was like, it, it, I mean, I, I was like, you, wait, 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 wait. This is this is Transformers, and there's it's a music video, and oh my, wait, 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 wait. I, I it was one of those eye opening, mind opening, like. They actually took this song and tried to put it in Boogie Nights as the song that Dirk Diggler was trying to get famous and get a recording deal from. It was one of the most I cannot believe this is real moments on this topic, which, as you can tell, I, I love very much. Yeah, I remember this was a handful of years ago. A friend of mine, a guy named Derek, we have like a little group text running, as I'm sure many guys do, sure. and he just, you know, kind of just dropped that video and was like, you know, as a nice reminder this existed and <laughs> yeah you know brought back some nostalgia brought back some mm -hmm. memories like oh yeah i love that song and um something i thought was kind of interesting if you go and kind of give a look to like the history of the song and just over the last few years apparently i guess stan bush and or maybe the producers have been trying very hard to find a way to work the song into mm -hmm. the modern day live action ish transformer movies since pretty much the first one right. and never succeeded. The first one, which I actually didn't mind. Mm, and, then, and then the rest of them, yeah. But never really succeeded until the movie Bumblebee. And it's only in there briefly, yeah. but it's in there. Right, so and that was another one of those moments like where I was watching that movie. It just happened. There's just a part of me in the back just like, yes, finally. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I so did just, and, I, and I've heard from other people that Bumblebee is actually, you know, all right, or, or or watchable. I would argue it is the best of the Transformers yeah. movies. Now, I think I'm granted burned. that's I, I, yeah. you know being punched in the shoulders a little right. better than being kicked in the um, <clears throat> region. Right. So yeah, but I liked it quite a bit. I do recommend you watch it. I think if, if for nothing else, just for the nostalgia factor, I think you'll enjoy it. Also, John Cena. Also, John Cena. Yeah. Movie star John Cena. Yes, famous movie star mm -hmm. John Cena. Who did anything else? Just acting. Michael, Popeye forearms. <laughs> Sorry, what? I don't think I've ever seen Judge Dredd. <sighs> well, and I know that's it's that's, my advice. You keep it that way. Well, but, but I love bad action movies, and you know that. So I feel I feel almost yeah. ashamed that I haven't seen it. But at the same time, I don't know that I've missed anything other than I love bad action movies, and it's. Stallone. I have to say, yeah, for me, not only bad, but I love specifically Stallone bad action movies. This one was a little rough, even really? on so it's that not it's, it's, well, it's not a cobra. I mean, what is man? That's true. Cobra's a beautiful film that strangely I also saw it for yes. 
because my dad was keeping me for the weekend, and by God, <laughs> he wanted to see Cobra to the point of it. Uh, this is one of those, like, the movie, I saw it, but I have few memories of it. Right. Because, and I mean, it's one of those, my main memory, and I'm sure there's somebody out there who will be like, oh, no, you're giving this far too much credit. Unremarkable or mediocre, that's... That's far too high a praise. Yeah. But for me, it was one of those that kind of, it scored as kind of a zero. Like, not even necessarily fun to mock. Just this one. Just, you know, like, not even unintentional comedy. The Stallone, who we love, obviously. Yeah. And Diane Lane, Rob Schneider, mm-hmm. Armand Asante. Yes. B-movie action guy that gets forgotten about, Armand Asante. Yes. And the great Max von Sydow. That man will do anything he for really a paycheck. Um, having said that, to the point of bringing up this movie sadly again uh had an end song called dread song by the cure which again i think it's come up before the cure is my favorite band and it's like i repressed this or something and just when we were kind of doing you know research for this like that popped into my head and Uh i was like oh god i gotta send this to hester now how bad were they mailing it in when they named this thing Dread song. I mean, to be fair, their biggest <laughs> hit is called Love Song. So, true, but kind of, you know. Yeah. But the funny thing about it is, according to some of the literature, at least, Robert Smith was a very huge Judge Dread song and wanted to do this and like actively sought it oh, out. So he was a fan of the comics. Yes. Oh wow. Or two thousand. I think it came maybe from two thousand AD or something, which okay. I never read because I'm not British. So apparently, though, sought it out, you know, or was a huge fan so was easily talked into or the song for it but it's interesting because like the song uh, i'm trying to think of a nice way to put this it's not that it's it's not that the song is bad but i don't know how much you know you want to talk mailing it in i don't really know how much the song actually applies to being about the subject matter or anything it's just sort of a very like lyrically it's very similar to like some of the songs that we spoke of in our previous episode. Yeah. You know, some of the Survivor songs that it's like oh, yeah, it was yeah. written for this movie, but we put it in this movie. That's gotcha. almost kind of how some of the lyrics go. Like they're fairly unremarkable. I'm looking. I'm looking at the lyrics of this song. Robert Smith has to be so embarrassed by this. Never say it's over. Never say the end. And he, I, mean, I mean, it's it's a Survivor song. <laughs> what was Survivor doing where they weren't available for this? I rest my case. <laughs> like just thoroughly it's never generic. Too late. Yeah, never say it's done. Yeah. <laughs> Which now I want a like, survivor version of this more than I want anything. Yeah, it would fit their catalog much better with the cures. But the, like I said, it's just it's a thoroughly like lyrically it's thoroughly unremarkable. Yeah. And it's just kind of like. This is what? so not I, a Cure song. It's so weird. No, but weirdly, it is a Stallone movie song. Yeah, like, oh, in that regard, yes, oh, yes, God, did they yes. knock it out of the park? See, why, is but, <laughs> not, why is Robert Tepper not singing this? Yeah, just Robert Smith. <laughs> We're practically the same guy. That is wild. I, I I now want to watch this movie. I now want to listen to this song. I hate myself for it, but so do I. <laughs> like, revisit it. Then spend, I don't know, an hour or so explaining to somebody how it's somehow better than the Carl Urban version that came out Ooh, a few years yeah, ago. Yeah, right. Oof. I don't actually know if that was good or not. Never saw it. No, that's so, one of those I'll just never know. It's a good way to do it. Um, we started this thing off with this guy. Now we're going to go back to him. Well, we kind of have to because, sure you, do. Uh, you know, I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, particularly, and as we discussed last time, you know, we talked about purple rain a bit of course yep. and then we talked about the fact that again queen has an entire album 
yeah. called Flash Gordon yes. original soundtrack. Uh, yes, and it's amazing. And I was thinking about it. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Prince has an entire album yes. called Batman right? from 1989's Batman. All the songs that are in it that are not, you know, Danny Elfman compositions right. are Prince songs. Which that almost, I mean, the fact that it, you, your soundtracks are half Prince and half Danny Elfman launches you up this list in my own heart yeah. very, very high. I do think, at least in the case of like the end song, which is Scandalous, I think yes. you actually also have the meeting of yes. Danny Elfman and Prince Ooh, because you have like right. the little bit of the score that is kind of the basis, the jumping off point of the song. Three songs off of this soundtrack charted. Yep. That, that's pretty That's pretty amazing. And what were those songs? So Bat Dance was the, the big one. The I num- hate that song so much. <laughs> I love Prince and I love Batman and yet... Vicky Vicky. Together. Number one overall on the Billboard chart, as well as the R&B chart. Mm -hmm. And um, Scandalous got up to number five on the R&B chart. My favorite song. Which is basically like the love song of the movie. But yeah. My favorite song on the entire album, the one I will play on uh, jukeboxes uh, all throughout town, including one where, uh, shout out to Lee, who I saw yesterday, by the way, gave us a, a nice... Thumbs up on the podcast. Thumbs up or um, certain other. It was, uh, anyway. it was a. It was a. Hey, good job. Please stop saying my name on the podcast. So, so Lee. definitely don't say Lee Slack on the <laughs> podcast or mention that he works at Stray Cat <laughs> or that there's a wide open jukebox yes. with a lot of range. Okay, now, we won't do that. That'd be horrible. Anytime I'm around one though, this is definitely coming up, and that's Party Man. Yeah, I was gonna say that's yes, probably my favorite on it too, and just the scene in which it happens. One of the best where, in the movie. Yeah, where yeah. Nicholson comes out and just destroys the art museum or so, or improves it as he yes, describes it yeah. after i think killing everybody but vicky uh, since her the yeah. yeah since her the orange mask and yeah. gases everybody in the place put yeah. this on now yes. yeah um but yeah it's one of my favorite parts of the so, movie and let's uh, broaden our minds Lord. yeah that's yeah. one of my favorite parts of the movie and i still like uh i won't go on too much of a tangent about the joker here but actually recently saw the joaquin phoenix version and i have not seen yet it uh for me eh, my, I, it's a kind of a big toss up between I guess Mark Hamill and it's, as far as like the animated versions yeah. go Heath Ledger and Nicholson but I uh, Nicholson to a degree still edges them out for me in some regards just because of just how thoroughly he embodied that character and just yeah and the different stages of the yeah. Joker which is brought mm-hmm. up online a lot but uh, each one of those guys had their own take on the criminal version mm-hmm. the psycho version you know so I still th- but like one of the things that I think always just kind of nailed the character perfectly is like after the balloon incident in the first one where you know he looks at you know loyal cohort Bob there and is like Bob yes gun and then just shoots Bob yes yes and that's Bob's <laughs> just like people that I was think, your guy and I think people forget because Ledger won the Oscar yes Nicholson was nominated for Batman. I certainly forgot about that. Yeah. But, it, well, and it's kind of funny because there's a good chance Joaquin Phoenix is going to be nominated for it now I again. Think, I think so, yeah. So, yeah. Apparently, Pretty there's amazing. a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe a... There's something about this character. Some kind of a good luck charm yeah. there. Yeah. Sort of, kind of. Unless you're Jared Leto. <laughs> this was the movie that kind of brought... It, well, definitely, I think. Unless I'm leaving something out. Superman had its run with, with Christopher Reeve. At least the first one, maybe the first two. I don't know, but Batman in '89 brought yeah. superhero movies back. Yes, I'm they were actually dead. regretful. Uh, the first 
maybe the only Superman movie of the grieved ones that I got to or that I got to see in the theaters was Part Four. Okay, the Quest for oh, Peace. God, is that with the, the Drago looking guy with the Nuclear Man? The, I think. Oh and my God! The, yeah. Just, yeah. The less said about that, the better. Yeah. But um, we will move along. But yeah, Batman, as you mentioned, basically ushered in a new age of comic book films, yes. and unfortunately, also with that, you got Judge Dredd, right. but you got the Crow too, uh, and. A handful of others, which are escaping my mind right now because I'm on the spot. Nicholson, uh, not an Oscar, a Golden Globe, but nonetheless. Still. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. For a comic book character. And again, for a comp- for playing a comic book character, it's kind of a rare thing at that point. I guess, though, for the bonus point system, even though Bat Dance is not my favorite song on the, mm-hmm. on the album, it is the one that does get the points in that regard because obviously the whole thing is about, is about the movie. Fair enough. Yeah. Although I will mention Scandalous, again, does incorporate the score. It, it does, which is so, another thing that I love. Yeah. And the fact that Danny Elfman's involved. So, uh, yes, we've made a decision. Scandalous is now the best. Ha. Ah. All right, then. <laughs> uh, speaking of Batman, uh, that brings me to Batman Returns. And a song from that, Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees. I know I sent you this video. Please, dear God, tell I me you've watched I it. I'm not, I don't remember this. Okay. I remember the song. Just yeah. just talking about it. And now it makes total sense, plan, kind of playing it back mm-hmm. in my head, that, oh, yeah, that is Susie and the Banshees. Yeah. But, but again, a co-collaboration between Susie and the Banshees and Danny Elfman yes. or incorporates a score specifically like the Catwoman theme. And the song is entirely about yes. Batman's relationship with Catwoman. Right. You know, the sort of weird having to mitigate a relationship with what is technically your quote-unquote bitter enemy. Right. And, you know masks this that and the other oh the whole thing i'm sitting looking at the lyrics it's, it's crazy yeah yeah the whole thing's about it's, it's obvious and unlike uh the first one where again you had you know prince do an entire album called batman batman mm-hmm. returns was largely just score driven was just any elephant and then part. you had the Susie and the banshee song right a uh, little history uh tim burton huge Susie and the banshees fan i, I know you wouldn't say, you wouldn't yeah. be able to tell from the look of him but <laughs> yeah and so I guess he got them involved and, uh, you know, as far as I know, some sort of collaboration with Danny Elfman. Now, I don't know if that's they all got together or if it's, all right, here's the score. You're writing a song about whatever. Now, go ye forth. But, right. yeah. But he's credited as a co-writer. And, you know, kind of going back to your point about Danny Elfman, you know, that people sort of tend to forget or they know of Danny Elfman, the composer, but kind of forget, oh, yeah, also from Oingo Boingo, also has his name on quite a few pop songs. This was the movie, by the way, that soured the relationship between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. Interesting. Yeah. Although I seem to have kissed and made up in later years because... Creative differences. Well, it was it was this. He kind of gave him the freedom to run with things on, on mm-hmm. this movie. It was really more Nightmare Before Christmas that things kind of went south. So it was... Uh, which led him when he made Ed Wood, which is my favorite um, Tim Burton movie. Yeah. He great used, movie. He used someone else. He didn't use Danny Elfman. For I want to say he used Howard Shore, maybe. You are correct, wrong. sir. Um, well, if only we had Brent's little game, I would have gotten some fake points. Ooh. Oh, well. Anyway, just going to make another point about that. Susie yes. and the Banshees, this yeah. was like 92. Yes. So Susie and the Banshees would have been way out of sight as well, far as getting there. Right? But I mean, well, Susie and the Banshees is one of those bands that never quite made it like. Uh, yeah. Right. There's a lot of bands that kind of have, you know, alternative British bands with, you know, a bit of a goth tinge about right, them right, right. that, you know, definitely made it. You, of course, have The Cure. You have sure. New Order. You have Depeche Mode. Those are 
probably like the stalwarts. You had a couple more that, you know, did okay kind of for the time period and whatnot. I think Susie and the Banshees was kind of just beneath that level where yeah. it's like never quite made it up to the Peek-a-boo, level of those three, the- but never, ugh, I hate that song. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the big one though, right? That's the one that people know, I guess. Well, it's either that or Cities and Dust, which is, eh, we'll call this just- a late game submission. Uh, Cities and Dust, Features heavily in the movie um, Gross Point Blank. Okay. But that makes total sense. That's another one that seems like, I don't know how it did on the charts, but it seems like a lot of people like like that song a lot more than they like some of the ones that did. So, gotcha. for what that's worth. Um, gotcha. But anyway, uh, yeah, did you happen to click on that video while we were talking about any of this? Uh, it's it's a lyric video. It's not. That's um, unfortunate. Okay. I'll well, find it. A oh, wait, here it is. Nah, there we go. Because <laughs> I was going, yeah, you you kind of have to see this to. But the really lyrics are totally. It's it's without saying the word of the movie in the song. It's so foreshadowing and, and yeah, it's yeah. just very over it, like very overtly. Yes, you know, just this looking is, at this is about Batman and Catwoman, right? This is a song about Batman and Catwoman, and not. I mean, yes, from this movie specifically, but I mean, go through comic history, go through the other movies, blah blah blah. That is Batman. Catwoman's relationship, oh, just yeah. you know, very much covered Even in that in song. The later movie, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, this is fantastic. We got the clips from the movie intercut with her kind of doing her own little cat, her dressed as Catwoman, basically thing. writhing around. Yeah, what a, what an odd time nineteen ninety two was. And then the other two guys in the band just kind of <laughs> right, you know, there. One of them kind of acting like he's the kind of do, giving off a Joker vibe with the white suit and the whole like uh-huh. yeah I, okay you know, the crazed circus or whatnot sure. Which actually, um, speaking of sour, or returning back to what you're saying, uh, Batman Returns, if I recall, because, well, just look at Danny DeVito as the Penguin, and that kind of sure. sums up a lot of it. But I think that soured uh, Warner Brothers, not relationship with Tim Burton, because he's still done a lot of Warner Brothers movie, but that was kind of the point where it was like, yeah, you don't get to do Batman movies anymore. Like, you, you can't keep this kid friendly. We can't sell a toy that looks like that. Yeah. And... I even remember at that time, you know, because I was at the age where I was still buying toys. Actually, you're still buying toys. What are you talking about? I was about to say, sadly. <laughs> granted, now There's they nothing just, wrong with that, by the way. Look, look behind me; they're all over the place. Yes, now they just go on a wall, but still. But uh, I remember at that time they had released the Penguin figure, and it basically just looked like the comic book version, mm-hmm. except it was like oh, black right. and had a red tie instead of like that's, blue and purple. Yeah, that's and, a good point. They, they, yeah, it was like, we, we can't possibly put this, this Danny DeVito monstrosity penguin out. Uh, yeah. Which, by the way, what a, what a great take in a, in a different version of the penguin that we really weren't used to. Yeah. I really don't think that gets enough credit. Yeah. It, and it's hard. Like, I know they've tried to do the penguin, you know, since then in some regards, but to me, it's one of those cases where it's like, ah, yeah, I don't think it nobody works. will ever quite as thoroughly yeah. nail it as he did. I don't think it works now. No, I, I don't think you could do it unless you made it. You know, there was always those rumors that they were going to have. Uh, was it Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to be basically a version of the Penguin, but he was going to be more like a corrupt politician yeah. type or something. Yeah, which that's ironically what Devito is right. in that movie. But yes, um, and I want to say there were rumors about Jonah Hill possibly being in the new one, but again, it's just sort of like I think those got nah. shot down, right? I, last I heard, they had because um, they're going to go with the Riddler and uh, oh, what's his name? Catwoman. Rid- one of them. Yeah, Catwoman but, is going to be uh, what? Kravitz? 
Is it Zoe Kravitz? Zoe Kravitz yes. and stepdaughter of Aquaman, ironically. But yes, sorry. Continue. Paul Dano as Riddler was is kind of the last thing I read. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the Riddler, but <laughs> all right. Um, but the in any case, the backlash of this sort of un, unfortunately led to the the later Batman films, and then of course Batman and Robin, where Clooney famously, when asked on uh, what was it, David Letterman, if he knew Arnold Schwarzenegger said, oh, yeah, I know Arnold. We go way back. We killed the Batman franchise together. <laughs> uh, Batman Forever, I feel, sort of gets a raw deal. I'm okay If that with makes that. any sense. Like, yeah. it, it, it was, again, a case of it's like it's before they just kind of let Schumacher do whatever. And yes. once they let him do whatever, that's when you got the disaster. It was Batman and Robin. But yeah. uh, Kilmer didn't bother me at all. Yeah, Kilmer didn't yeah. bother me. And it also, it had, which we didn't actually account for this, but it also had a pretty good soundtrack. Oh, a great soundtrack. Yeah. I remember buying that uh, like like the day it was released, like going up to the mall yeah, and the, buying that CD. That was a phenomenal soundtrack. Yeah, the one U two song I actually like it's is on that our, our, soundtrack. Our, uh, mutual friend Mark, who hates U two, uh, likes that song. That's his. Yeah, yeah that's his one too. A reminder, a reminder for one or two people that we might know who might be listening. U two sucks. Uh, that's anyway. also my favorite band. So, but I I just take it as it comes because that's yeah. I, I, whatever. You and know, the and sure. the person across the table from me who might be strangling me with a microphone cord here <laughs> in any moment. Yeah, it happens. It's not that they suck; they're just kind of overrated. Anyway, understood. That's okay. But anyway, anything with Danny Elfman, I, I got all I got all day for. So the fact that they had a co a, you know a co writing credit that he did the score. Yes. Um. Yeah. I, I'm, now this next one. I don't know if I know this. I don't know if I know this. Well, uh, judging by how much money it made at the box office, you've definitely heard it. I know the movie for sure. And uh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure while I was watching it, I'm sure I heard it at some point. Well, I don't know that I knew it was written for this movie. I don't know. Yeah, that, you know. Well, we're already getting sued by the Morrissey people. So, you know, sucks. go ahead and get us sued by the Chris Cornell estate too. Well, <laughs> why not play it? Speaking of sucks, Morrissey sucks. Oh, yeah, definitely. Anyway. But uh, Live to Rise, yeah, song written and performed by Soundgarden for the Avengers and was written specifically for this movie and, again, is basically about a team of superheroes and whatnot coming together. If you want to give the lyrics a look there, I think you'll see what I mean. But, yeah, when I first heard it, I didn't know that either. I just kind of figured somebody asked, you know, Soundgarden had... They'd gotten back together. They had a new album coming right. out. I just figured somebody had probably said, hey, you guys got one? Yeah, sure, here, right, whatever. And then it was like there was an interview with Chris Cornell, and he was like, oh, no, we were actually specifically asked to write this for it. We saw the movie, read the script, et cetera, and actually sat down and composed this song hmm. for the Avengers. Okay. Looking at the lyrics, I mean, there's you know a lot of references to igniting. It will ignite again. Let's, you know, So that I'm, I'm sure, as I have not seen the video, but it is it is now playing uh, here. Um I'm sure that's speaking to Iron Man and igniting and flying. And I think the first lyric is like, what if all you understand could fit into the palm or inside the palm of your hand or something uh, like that. So, so it's like, okay. Makes sense. again, it's also teasing the greater like Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah, like this is just a blip of what you're seeing here. And you know, that's of course first appearance of Thanos and whatnot. Right. And yeah, you know, it turned out there's a lot more going on than just what was going on on planet Earth. There is so. a legit like this is how music videos used to be done. Yeah, like back in the really like MTV 2.0 era, whenever there had to be the the song for the you know with the movie and the video and the whole yeah like 
mean, that was one of the things I appreciated about yeah. Soundgarden. Like, even off their last album, they kept trying. They kept making music videos. They didn't just phone it in or, eh, we'll put out something lyrical on YouTube and that'll be that. Like, they, they went right ahead and kept on. Oh, yeah. Again. This has got all the scenes from the movie and they're all, yeah, this is, this is great. Mm. I'm sad I don't know this. Oh, now you do. Now I do. All right. I'll have to get the full, uh, the full effect later. Yeah. R.I.P. Chris Cornell. Yes. You are sorely missed. Yes. Um, I know this next one. Good. I, I, would think, I, I would think anyone that was an adolescent during our time yes. period who saw that movie has this pretty much permanently ingrained into their mind. I know a different version of it, I guess, better than this. But uh, this is um, the point it's played in the movie and all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all aboard with this one. Yeah. After Dark by Tito and the Tarantulas from... From Dust Till Dawn. Uh, one of the... Um, the famous Salma Hayek uh, yes. snake dance yes. scene takes place to that in a bar that shall remain nameless because this is a fine family show. Yes. Uh, it's... This, all right, Robert Rodriguez directed, Yes, correct? he okay. directed it. Uh, Tarantino, Tarantino it? wrote it. Okay. And yeah. I could be wrong about this, but I want to say that maybe... Either there was an idea for a story and Tarantino kind of kept exploring it and then it turned into what it was, or maybe it's just, it's Tarantino. It's hard to gauge, but yeah. I know the idea originally was, let's do a vampire movie. And then as Tarantino did what Tarantino does, it mm -hmm. turned into what is effectively a hard boiled crime movie yes. for the first half. And then suddenly deep in Mexico somewhere. Yes vampires show up and it becomes <laughs> something else completely. a completely right. different movie it becomes a full-blown horror movie and great cast yes yeah great cast great movie mm -hmm. it's always kind of funny to me when i see like just you know like lists or something people are you know or questions you know oh what, what's your favorite tarantino movie when people will kick this one out because i'm all there's always a part of me it's like yeah this is just as much a robert rodriguez movie as it is a tarantino oh, sure. movie like yes he his, wrote it but yeah his fingerprints are all over this. absolutely yeah. and anyway great movie great song it yeah. is it's a it's a cover but it's still it's almost now you completely think about this movie whenever you hear this song mm -hmm. even if it's not the same version yeah, you you had mentioned you were more familiar with the original, so maybe give us a little detail uh, on that one. You know, you know, the only really the only reason I'm really familiar with it is because they used to play it on um, Coast to Coast AM, the, the the overnight radio show that that talked about spooky things and 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 uh, you know uh, aliens and and whatnot. And uh, this used to be one of their bumper songs or something. So that's that's why I heard it the theme. first time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, moving along and uh, from. The research I did on this, this might actually technically be a fake song because I couldn't really find, I couldn't find a place to buy it, you know, not on Apple Music, not on Spotify, etc. But it was a song called Power of the Night by Johnny Steele, who I'm pretty sure is also made up, and this was from the movie Critters. <laughs> now, looks like a real name to you. How long has it been since you've seen the movie Critters? Good answer. Anyway, 30 years, maybe it, it's been a while. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. I burned through them earlier on in the month. I kind of tried to do the, you know, the supposed 31 days of Halloween, you know, tear yeah. through one or so horror movies a day. And I went ahead and went back and rewatched Critters. Critters is also one of those that I saw at a relatively early age. And I watched Critters one and two back to back basically. And 
Yeah, apparently I had only ever seen like the TBS version of that because boy <laughs> are they R-rated and just like looking at it kind of like, okay, this had to have been the TBS cut because there's no way my parents would let me get away with this. Like they were okay with Conan, but not this. I never mind details. Anyway, here here's here's <clears throat> why this is phenomenal. Uh, if this if the opening paragraph of this plot doesn't just lock you in for these type of movies mm. that, that once again we love and probably more than other people. Uh, I got where Johnny Steele comes from. Um, here's the plot. On an asteroid prison, a group, just right there, on an asteroid prison, a group of dangerous aliens known as Crits are set to Krites. be... Krites. Kill yeah. Krites. Krites. Yeah. Yeah. Krites are set to be transported to another station. The Krites engineer an escape and hijack a ship prompting the warden to hire two shape-changing bounty hunters to pursue them to Earth. Studying life on Earth via various satellite television transmissions, the first bounty hunter assumes the form of rock star Johnny Steele. Yes. While the second remains undecided, thus retaining his blank featureless head. Yes. And that was kind of the beauty part of it. Like, it's a fake, you know, like, well, it's not a fake song. Obviously, it's a real song, but you know what I mean. Like I said, they're... As far as I know, there's not an artist Johnny Steele out there, but wouldn't think so. You have this blank, sh- you know, this blank slate thing show up, and it sees like an MTV video, and it just turns into the rock star, and that's the guy who goes along fighting. Sure. Uh, the version in the second is they find an old Playboy magazine laying in the middle of a dirt road, and the shapeshifter that comes back when they have yet another crite uh, attack. Mm-hmm turns into the Playboy centerfold, ah. complete with a staple through her uh, stomach region. Hmm. So, yeah, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, sounds great. Now Spe- speaking to- of things that were cut from the TBS cut, by the way, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Next is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yep, that's what we're talking about. I remember right the on song show. very, very um, vividly because I've seen that movie, I don't know, 30 times. Yeah, uh, I'm probably right there with you. That was one of those, I remember the, the summer, like I, I didn't see it in theaters. I don't know that anyone saw it in theaters, really. Oh, no, no. It no. had to be a bomb. Yes. Like there, There's no way this sold tickets. But uh, to a young eight or nine-year-old me, who had access to HBO around the summer of 89 or whenever they played this on HBO, like constantly all the time. And yeah. So yeah, I saw this movie easily 30, 40 times. And so was very familiar with the movie. was very familiar with the song. What I didn't realize at the time and ironically Beavis and butthead brought this to my attention was that there was a video and like, Oh, that's a real song by a real band. Oh, sure. Wow. So yeah. I remember it from just, and it, so it goes right along with, with the whole thing. It's got a, a song with the words of the movie in the song. It made a, by the way, the budget of this thing was $1.8 million. Where did the money go? <laughs> I'm trying to find out how much it made at the box office. It's not pulling up, but um, the, I'm trying to find, all right, the soundtrack. Probably the, the number you're not finding, or yeah, the number of what you're finding, nothing. Anyway, probably sorry. a reason, um, yeah. Uh, of course, the American punk rock band known as the Dickies mm-hmm. um, had the title track, Killer Clowns. I'm not super familiar with the Dickies. No, um, I'm not either. I'm assuming this is their, I don't know, biggest contribution to uh, pop culture as a whole. One would think. Who's to say? In any case, like I said, though, uh, yeah, 
a thank a shout out to Mike Judge for making me realize, oh, that's a real song. Yes. So yeah. And uh, if y'all haven't seen Killer Clowns from Outer Space, I recommend it. It's heavily definitely enjoyable, yes. possibly for some of the wrong reasons, but it's just the whole concept is just absurd. Yes. It's actually not that different from critters, except clowns instead of weird little fur yeah. balls that eat everything on their path. Until you realize they're eating like babies and children that are wrapped in cotton candy or whatever. Like I, when I realized that as a kid, I was like, Oh, that's what that, that's what they're doing. That's what that is. That's frightening. Wasn't this movie, was it, well, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, clowns aren't terrifying enough on their own. Yeah, they yeah, need that extra kick like yeah. this or freaking Pennywise. But yeah. Um, refresh memory. Was that an R rated movie? Because I feel like that's one of the ones that if it was probably just passed my parents' test because they were like, there's no way something uh, called Killer Clowns, clowns is, space. Yeah. like, uh, Killer Clowns, yeah, fine, whatever, just watch it. I don't. Try not to have any nightmares. Uh, let me see if I can find that. Nothing's really popping up right away. We'll, yeah, we'll keep It's just, I don't remember. Uh, PG-13. Okay, I was going to say, I, I seem to remember it being not particularly, you know. Yeah square heavy or you know uh, anything no, else but like a I mean, it had the decent typical, amount of violence yeah and, the typical wow, okay. 80s kind of yeah. you know stuff with the the bimbo they're the bimbos in the movie for sure right you know that kind of thing but I, I could be wrong i think christopher titus the comedian was in this movie like just as an actor hmm. i've actually met a couple of times cool guy but uh his wife's actually from this area he funny was. enough but he, anyway sorry go ahead. he was in the movie and that's the only name i recognize yeah uh, but yeah, that was before his comedy career really took off. But the main character was named Mike Tobacco. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Again, if anybody wants to understand just how the eighties were, there, there you go. That's the eighties. Oh, Mike Tobacco. Completely. <sighs> Moving along, it's kind of back and forth about whether or not to cover this one, which is probably why it's not underlined. I'll leave it up to you. Um, I am assuming that I would know this if I heard it. It's basically like the little kind of halfway yeah. lyrical lullaby song at the beginning and I believe the end of the movie. Carol Ann's theme by Jerry Goldsmith on Poltergeist. I, I mean, I wouldn't have a lot on this one other than to bring up the great Jerry Goldsmith. And the great Poltergeist. Sure. But yes. But like I said, yeah, yeah it fits. It works. It fits the yeah. marks. And it's called Carrie Ann's. Yeah. Yeah. Works. So. Yeah. Um, you're going to be more familiar with Bram Stoker's Dracula, I think, than I am. Uh, yeah, by far. Yep. It's one of my favorite movies, which is kind of ironic because I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this. It's like, in some regards, it's the best adaptation of Dracula, like the novel that yes. there is. And then you get to like the production design and some of the makeup choices, such as dressing Gary Oldman up as Grandma B for old <laughs> Dracula and some of the other things. And it's like, what kind of cocaine-induced nightmare brought that? Yeah. When it's like, oh, yeah, no, let's dress him up like an old guy. Oh, really? Yeah, sure, we'll, we'll go with that. But, yeah, uh, as I said, one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my favorite horror movies, uh, probably, in some regards, I'd say it's a toss-up, but, like, my favorite Dracula is not Gary Oldman, but this is probably my favorite Dracula movie. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, no, like, I, get that. I get that. Probably the best or most well-made, like I said, sticks close as a source material. Right. Favorite Dracula is probably Christopher Lee, just oh, for what that's worth. Sure. And just for the, yeah. 
But yeah, uh, came out in 92, uh, quite a big hit if I recall. And I know Coppola apparently had had that one kind of churning, you know, for a few years and said, you know, nobody had really ever actually sat down and done a proper version of the novel. And that's what he set out to do. Mm-hmm. He worked in, you know, some of the historical Vlad the Impaler or Vlad Cespish, which is the sort of kind of source for Dracula, mainly just in that he had the name Dracula. Yeah. That's about it. But uh, so there's a lot. Of, I, I so you haven't seen this movie then, or I don't know that I've ever watched it all the way through. And Gary Oldman's like my favorite actor, so well I, I should do that. You've got a pretty star-studded cast. You've got oh, him yeah. as Dracula. You've got um, Arg. Now my brain's escaping me. Keanu Reeves. Yeah, you've got uh, well, went on a writer. Yeah, let's just. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, you've got Keanu Reeves as uh, Jonathan Harker. You've got her as Mina, and you have the uh, book ended. You have uh, Arg. Why is his name escaping me? Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, yeah. Carrie Owens. Yeah. But Anthony Hopkins is Van Helsing. Yes. So, yes. And one of the more interesting, like one of his more interesting roles, this was not that long after Silence of the Lambs, and this was him, like, they did a kind of a version of Van Helsing that had never quite been seen to that point. Like, Van Helsing was usually, like, the noble, like, you know, half scientist, half detective, kind of, you know, looking for Dracula, this, that, and the other, and it's like, they kind of brought him in as like this about half crazed doctor who just had absolutely no filter and would just kind of say whatever came to mind loudly and proudly. And right. it was like a very interesting take on the character. One, uh, and this is just kind of a, before we actually get to the song here, one problem I do have with this movie in some regards is it does paint Dracula as more of like a tragic victim character and kind of goes the Anne Rice vampire route more so than Dracula, the book where now nah, he's pretty much an evil monster and, you know, he's yes. here to drink us. Anyway, uh, yeah, movie ends with a song called <sighs> Love Song for a Vampire by Annie Lennox. I have never heard this. Um, and I think we'll sit now and let you because you've got to hear this and you've got to see the video. I can't stand Annie Lennox. Sorry. <laughs> um, I got no issue with Annie Lennox, but I... Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about this. Well, it's kind of back and forth because it's like to a degree the song fits the movie, but at the same time it's kind of like, was this really a movie that needed like an end theme song or? No, nah, this, yeah, you know. this, this, this just needed a score, and I don't think it needed anything else. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Yes, but you know, from the title and I don't know so much about the lyrical content because Annie Lennox lyrics are largely incomprehensible anyway, but. <laughs> It's called Love Song for a Vampire. Yeah. It's for this movie. So sure, there we are. sure. And when you're looking through the lyrics here, I mean, eh, yeah, sure. It's a sappy kind of thing. So those that don't get it and those that pretend to. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Um, I don't, yeah. It's not going to register too many points for me. I mean, mm-hmm. vampires in the title, I guess. I don't. Yeah. So, yeah, you got the video pulled up then? or Yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've been watching it. Um, My main memory of it is clips of the movie and then back to Annie Lennox in a white, like, vampire bride-like dress. That's my main memory of it. I haven't yeah, seen that, it. Yeah, in... that's basically what we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to kind of skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, and shots of the movie and, you know, the basic stuff. Oh, I should probably go back and watch this, but I, I, yeah, I've never actually seen this all the way through. Nice. Uh, yeah, you definitely should. That's one of the better, like I said, as far as Dracula adaptations go, one of the better ones. And again, as you mentioned, Gary Oldman is yes. your favorite actor. So, um, 
All right. I don't remember anything. Well, I do remember stuff about Indecent Proposal, but I don't know that I knew this song was associated with the movie. I, I mean, I know the song and I know the movie. Mm-hmm. don't think I knew that they were they were combined. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's the proper theme of the movie necessarily. There might okay. actually be something that is. However, I, uh, I, I didn't see Indecent Proposal when it came out because, oh, that's right, I was 11 and yes. it was an Adrian Lyon movie and it was 1990 friggin' too. Right. But... You know, I've seen it since then. Not a bad movie. Not a great movie. Um, I do remember the song and the video quite prevalently because mm-hmm. it was basically Sade sitting on the bottom of the ocean, dressed as a mermaid, singing this song while oh, hopes yeah. of the movie. This would have. This played. was a, a KVKI special here in, in, in Shreveport. Yeah. Um, it, this song, uh, in between Michael Bolton and Gloria Stefan tunes, mm. you would have, could have heard this song at any point uh, on the radio. The thing I always thought was kind of funny, though, is like at the same time you had like the Duran Duran song "Come Undone," which came out of roughly around the same time of this, and mm-hmm. also involves singing "Mermaid" and weird twisted plot, and you know has very much the same feel sure. and whatnot. Down, like down to the video, and it's just like, hmm, okay, that's weird. Right. But uh, yeah, it was. I remember. I think this is one of those cases again where the song bigger probably. Well, I don't know. I Robert Redford, oh, Woody, yeah, Harrelson, Woody Harrelson, Demi, uh, Moore, Demi Moore. I think it was sure. a pretty modest hit. But yeah. I think if you ask the average person today, hey, have you seen the movie Indecent Proposal? And I'm just talking about like our age-ish or younger. Probably the answer is no. What is that? And if you ask them, hey, have you heard the song No Ordinary Love by Sade? The answer is absolutely yes. Yeah, the, 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 so, right. The song's got more uh, range. More, yeah, yeah. I guess you I might would, say. I would go with that. Yeah. Uh, that's about all I have to say about it. Yeah. It's a good song. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I'll leave it up to you if you want to carry cover this next one. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> this is uh, It for- does have an important place in history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um yes, Humans Being by Van Halen. This was it for Sammy White, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, I think this was the one where he finally was like, "All right, I'm out." See. Yes. Uh and then we got of course the the uh, the Gary Sharon era. Yeah. Well, it's funny too cuz they had the brief like, "Oh, we're going to get back together with David Lee Roth." Uh at the movie awards. And, and then they didn't. And, that, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, that from the Sorry. start. Uh the soundtrack for Twister, which mm-hmm. is the movie we're talking about. And the song was written for Twister to it was. be clear. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like absolutely th- this it was. this largely hits your uh your points, if you will. Naturally. Uh and it's um it was playing in the one of the vehicles they were using in the movie. I think it was Dusty, the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, when he was. I think it was playing in his vehicle, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, oh, it's it's all in there. I'm trying to pull up the video now because I know there's. Um, For an actor as good and accomplished as he is, he's got a lot of really terrible movies under his belt. Oh, I, but I yes, but I will watch Twister all the time. It, it, as bad as it is, it's just it's fun. It's it's the it's everything from that era. I mean, and, yeah, it's it's a summer blockbuster. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it's Bill Paxton. Yeah. I mean, what else do you need? It's not something you watch to think. Right. Carrie yeah. always is the evil tornado chaser. <laughs> the evil tornado chaser. Yeah, the good and the evil. Yeah. You gotta have an right. You know, definitely a competitive uh, you know field. Sure. I suppose watching the music video here, and of course, you know, we've got the shots of the movie, and that's great. But mm. there's also this backdrop behind Alex Van Halen. Of like just storm footage, basically. 
<laughs> like just clouds and lightning and like switching to different things. Uh, and then, yeah, and then Sammy's getting after it in the front. There's uh, Eddie's doing a little harmonizing. Yeah, like some intense harmonizing there. Right. I love this song. I, I think it, it's a perfect 1995, six? Somewhere around so, there. Yeah, But I, I do think it kind of falls in that category of like, kind of like what actually sparked all this, like the David Coverdale. Like yeah. this was the... We're still doing this, but a lot of society is kind of looking at it and going like, why are you still doing this right, right. kind of song? There is, this is an, a pretty intense soundtrack. There is, the, the, no, I'm, just, I'm looking at this, um, the Twister soundtrack. Humans Being by Van Halen, of course, the one mm. we're talking about. But also Deep Purple's on this thing. Tori Amos, Allison Krauss, Mark Knopfler, Soul Asylum, Katie Lang, Lisa Loeb, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Goo Goo Dolls, Shania Twain, uh, and somehow Nixon Buckingham end up on this. Uh, but uh, Perfect. that's a pretty representative 1996 movie soundtrack. Yeah, it's a good solid lineup. You also have Edward and Alex Van Halen, Respect the Wind is the name of that tune. I'm assuming that's an instrumental track, maybe. Yeah, I think it might actually even be the one that leads into gotcha. the song, but I'm not sure about that. Okay. Anyway. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, and the fact, there's a, the Goo Goo Dolls song, Long Way, Long Down, Way Down, is also phenomenal yes. on, on this uh, soundtrack. So I like this one probably more than I realized. Um, it's it's perfectly representative of the mid-90s. It's a great summer popcorn flick. And again, the when you, now that when you look at the lyrics of Humans Being, I'm trying to find out if it meets some of the... Uh, some of the criteria, I don't know. I'm probably the first person that's ever looked up the human be- humans being lyrics, unless there are people like us out there, which maybe there are. But Definitely um, the first person to look at them and see if there's any hidden meaning. Boy, it's a pretty kind of intense, like, angry tune. I guess it kind of has to be. I mean, it's about tornadoes, tornadoes after right? all. So, uh, uh, nothing just jumps out, really, of the... Lyric-wise, but there's a music video, there's cuts of the film, mm. there's random storm footage behind the drummer. So yeah, this is awesome. It's a it's a it's an underrated soundtrack, if I may say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna call an audible here because I just thought of one while we were talking about this that somehow didn't make the list. Don't want to miss a thing by Aerosmith sure. from Armageddon. Armageddon. Um, here's my take on it. I hate that movie. I hate that song. <laughs> I like Aerosmith. I like a lot of Aerosmith songs. That's one of those that, like, uh, speaking of our good, dear friend Lee Slack, the other day I may or may not have been sitting in his establishment, and that song came on the jukebox, and I called him over and handed him $5 to skip it. That's how much I hate that song. (laughs) And for the drunken redneck in there who was throwing a fit about it not playing, it was me. I did it. That's not a bar song. Come on. That's... As far as I'm concerned, it's not a human song at this point. Just Sound, like now, uh, this will get a confession out of somebody. But, soundtrack wise, yeah. phenomenal soundtrack, right? Because they just got a bunch of old songs and mm. bought the rights to them and put them on there. Um, there is basic. There's a, a journey song on there that I don't know is one of the bigger ones, but um, ZZ Top, Seeger. Uh, there's a few Aerosmith songs. I mean, the Sweet Emotions on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, their version of Come Together. There's a Bon Jovi tune. So, you know, it's all right as far as that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. But, of course, that is... Uh, Our Lady Peace would have been the, I guess, we're current and hip inclusion on that mid-90s yeah. uh, soundtrack. And I, I think in the case of the song... Late 90s, late 90s. And it may sound like I'm being unduly harsh, but 
to that, I say, yeah, you weren't driving around a period where you had a lot of options and dominion over your own music, and you didn't have to hear that song 158 times. Oh, that was all that per was week. all over yeah. the place. And uh, it's this, like, so not a great song to begin yeah. with, and also extremely overplayed. Oh, yeah, there's there's no question. Now, the score to Armageddon, I, I enjoy very much. I, I was one of the few people that was a high school age kid who had the CD of the score to Armageddon. I don't even know if I knew such a thing existed. Oh, yeah. But, huh. There you go. Uh, anyway, that moves us on to another one. And after going and revisiting the video, I was like, okay, yeah, I absolutely must throw this on the list. That would be Big Gun by ACDC from The Last Action Hero. Yes. Um, I love this movie. So do I. I, and think, I think I feel like it doesn't really get. Absolutely. Especially at the time, yep. it didn't really get like the proper credit it was due. It's like it was Arnold in a movie making fun of Arnold movies. It was beautiful. I don't think people got the joke. I, th- I think that's why they hate it. Yeah. Because they didn't get that it was a joke. Like yeah. it was totally making fun of the whole thing. And that he was in on it. Yes. You know, like I'm trying to think of another good example of that, but I, one will come to mind at some point. Yes. But. I mean, but yeah, you know, it's like, it's a parody starring, instead of a guy pretending, who looks kind of like Arnold pretending to be the Terminator, it's like, oh no, we we have Arnold here. And he came right along for the ride. (laughs) He did. And it's like, somehow or another, I guess for some people that just canceled it out, and it's like, he's in on it. He knows what he's doing. Chill. the weird thing is, like, I knew from the start, like, I was, uh, however old I was, what year, 93? Yeah, 93. So when this came out. 11, 12, somewhere, yeah. I was not quite 12. No, I was 12, not quite. Yeah, whatever hell it was. Mm. Uh, so in that age. Um, so um, I knew almost from the start that that's what they were doing. Like I just I just figured yeah. that out. I just I, instantly. You know, yeah. Like, oh, that's they're 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 kind of poking fun at themselves. Well, okay. I'll give you one key example. Like there's the kid and like I guess Jack Slater, I think that was the character's name, and the movie has like a tendency to like play chicken with people. Yeah. And the kid who gets transported into the movie, he's on like a bike or something, and he decides he's gonna play chicken with a car. He's like, yeah, I got this. I'll be fine. I'll be wonderful. Austin I've got O'Brien. plot armor. Yeah. I'm a comic sidekick. Oh, God, I'm a comic sidekick. Yeah. And then he just veers off because right. at that point, if you were a comic sidekick, a la Bucky or the second Robin, Jason Todd, you were going to die. Yes. Uh, the Stallone on the Terminator 2 advertising in the video store <laughs> is, I wish I had it. I, yeah. I had it, I'd put it up in the classroom. I, I That's definitely one of those one day must find on eBay. Right. There is no, like, no price is too and high. Then, uh, and, yeah, and then the kids yelling about, that's you in the movie. And oh, he was great. He was great in the role. Ah, you know, and the whole, it, it, yeah. it, it, he acknowledged it and everything. <laughs> uh, no, I love Last Action Hero. Um, and I remember kind of what I'm, I'm trying to think of the random cool at the moment music setup, and there was like uh, it was like a Sega video game kind of a thing, but you could play music through it. And the ACDC song from Last Action Hero was one of the little discs you could buy or whatever. Nice. So like yeah, so it just brings back those memories of going to like KB Toys and yeah. seeing that for sale. You know, like um, also I, worth knowing Charles Dance is the villain. Yes. Great in this movie. He yes. had I remember the part where he like finds his way into like modern day LA or whatnot or maybe it's New York. I think it's LA. I can't quite recall. But 
finds his way into the real world and basically just like shoots a homeless guy and then like loudly announces, I've shot someone <laughs> and I did it on purpose. And like somebody opens a window is like, keep it down. And just, yeah. Yeah. It's LA in the, in the fake world and New York in the real world. Right. I Isn't that how it think? works? I think so. Maybe. So. Cause it, cause uh, you know, sunny, bright LA, right. Gritty, cold New York. And yeah. yeah, I remember that. It's probably where half the budget went ironically, but yes. Great um, Walter dance. And, uh, but yeah, uh, worth noting the video itself oh, is yeah. a thing of beauty, because uh, you have basically, as a lot of ACDC videos did, yeah. basically a live performance of ACDC. Yeah, you're just getting the fastball, and then Arnold shows up, starts oh, walking around sure. on the stage, you know, doing Arnold just kicks open stuff. the door, you know, yeah, and then suddenly smash cut to. Arnold is up there dressed up as Angus with a guitar doing the whole Angus thing. Sure. It's just like perfect. It's, it's just what you did. Those yeah. Days. It's just, this is beautiful. Right. Uh, there were also eh, quite a handful of other good songs on that soundtrack. Uh, I know there was a mega death one. The name escapes me. You might be able to uh, yeah, refresh my memory on that. But yeah. So the soundtrack was Megadeth Angry Again. Yes. Uh, Alice in Chains. It's the perfect like these get the one last ride for some of these these mm. bands. You know, Megadeth, Queensrÿche. Uh, it was kind of yeah, Leopard, right Anthrax, there in that you know. period before before half of these bands became legendary yes. and kind of you know like you said, kind of a swan song on right. some of these others. And like, of course, Tesla singing the song "Last Action Hero." Nice. Yes. Which probably <laughs> should have been the submission, but yeah, but it's come on. Arnold's in the just, video. And just look at that video. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, that trumps all else for me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie that, that people need to love a little more, in my mm. opinion. Now, uh, this next one might not fit any of your criteria, but I couldn't not include it on general principle. And that's Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham from National Lampoon's Vacation. And actually, a few of the other ones as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very iconic. Yes. Now, video-wise, lyric-wise, that you know, that's that's of course what I always look for first. Um, I, I this is completely, it's about a vacation, th- but eh, yeah, th- this is completely new to me. This music video, so I am watching it for the very first time. But there is indeed a music video. Yeah, I seem to recall oh, the music video not quite the curly like tight fro. Oh, that's okay. So yeah, not quite being maybe reminiscent of the movie, but still being like just a good example of like. Again, you know, children. This was the eighties. Yeah. Oh, it's completely. It's it's basically the nineteen eighty four the the Orwell video. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's making it's it's parodying that almost. Yeah. And it's people who you know working to death, not taking vacation, not you know that that mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, awesome. So all right, it doesn't maybe get the. It's a very dark video for the for a lighthearted kind of song when you think about it. Uh, well, if you think about the movie in its own ways, fairly dark and uh, like yeah, it doesn't really get the you know credit. I mean. Like, yeah, it's bright and sunshiny, but yeah. also there's a lot of like, oh, Aunt Edna's dead, and what do they do with her? Uh, they strap her to the roof and they leave her on their cousin's back porch with a note <laughs> to her. Just my God, it's an odd one though because it was <laughs> written for the movie, mm-hmm. but. The video really doesn't have anything from the movie. Not even like the cuts of no. or, you know. They could have totally had Chevy Chase show up in the music video. Yeah. Uh, that would have been I mean, that's what that's what you did back then anyway. I feel like he was available. Yeah. yeah. Um but I will say as far as the movie goes, probably my favorite comedy ever. And I think it's because kind of when you break it down, it's maybe the most relatable comedy there is because yes. everyone has been on a vacation from hell. 
every one of us without fail. This, no this, matter what your circumstances, you yeah. can relate to this movie. Sure you can. Um, and and this is one that everyone this this is one I've of, been on several. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. This is one of the songs um, that I feel is almost because of it's placed in the movie it's in. Mm. This song and this movie are one of those few cases of this is universally loved by everyone. Yeah, so like it's hard to meet somebody that yeah that doesn't like one or the other. And the song actually, if I recall, it was also in the second one. That's European Vacation. I don't believe it was in Christmas Vacation. It was in Vegas Vacation, for better or for worse. Uh, I don't mind Vegas Vacation. I know it's crazy. I like but it, uh, but yeah, I don't feel like it's, it. It's different from the others, you know? right? Um, and I mean, I will say. One thing that's always bothered me about the vacation movies is kind of once you have a sequel to it and it also involves the Griswold family, the narrative shifts a little. At first, right. this is the average family, particularly of that time period, going on a vacation to pretty much Disneyland yeah. and everything that can go wrong goes it's wrong, wrong right. and it's relatable. As soon as you have a sequel, this family is now cursed. <laughs> like That's the narrative now. And... So it's like to a degree that sort of yeah. taints it, but at the same time, eh, not all of it. No. You know, like I said, many of us have several vacations from hell. So there you go. One of the rare but, movies where the third in the series is maybe as popular as the is the first one, and I think with some people, maybe more so. With yeah, I, yeah, right, yeah. And that movie is that song is featured also in that movie. But then there's a song from that movie as well, is there not? I'm trying to remember what was the line from it. I was like, it's Christmas. Everyone's miserable or something uh, like that. It's Christmas. We're all... We're all, mis- we're all in misery. It's something yeah, like but, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But something where that, it sounds like a little bit like... Everybody can relate to. Yeah. The, the family coming over and, and just bombarding your house and you have no personal space. And uh, yeah, so everybody kind of... That's the thing with, with those two movies, like you said, re- completely relatable. Yeah. And I think that's why they both work on just a high level. I will say uh, one high point from the second one, the part with the later hosen where somehow Chevy Chase winds up in a fight. And yes. I think uh, the second Russ, Russ, that's one of the other kind of key things. The two kids never played by the same actor in the yeah, same movie. I, I and Russ number two is off making out with a girl somewhere and the bells start ringing. She's like, the bells are ringing. That means they're going to hang someone. And instantly he's just like, <laughs> dad, like just immediately he knows. Right. I like European, Chevy Chase is up some. I like yeah. European vacation. I do too. Not as much as the other ones. I think it falls apart towards the end, but I think it's good. I, oh, it's an enjoyable sure. movie. And when I pointed out to uh, to my girlfriend that Hagrid is the guy shaving while uh, Mama Beverly D'Angelo is, is in the bathtub, yeah, uh, yeah I, I kind of ruined the movie for her because I was like, you know, that's Hagrid, right? And then just from there on out, it was over. There's also one of those great moments, uh, which I think is. When they get to England, you have the bicyclist they keep running over yes. who's weirdly okay yes. with it. And yes. then there's like, he asks an English guy something and the English guy starts talking and he's trying to type it into a translator. <laughs> or else like, dad, he's, he's speaking English. But uh, the, also this movie, uh, the attempted reboot that came out probably about four or five years ago with Ed Helms playing Rusty Griswold. Yep. Also had this song in it worth noting. And a crappy cover at the end by some country band that I can't remember the I name of. I will never know because I will never see that. Okay. Well, I'm not going to tell I, you I not to. I just can't. It's one of those where it's like, I, I appreciate the sentiment. 
can't do it. Let, There's let just me, certain things that shouldn't be done, and that's one of them. Let me just put it this way. Okay, Rusty Griswold, let's take the first episode, or first episode, first movie. Yep. Remember the incident with uh, the, the Christy Brinkley pool incident, and oh, yeah. he's up there trying to explain to Russ what happened and making up all the stuff about her being a pool waitress and this, that, and the other. And then he's like, you believe me, right, son? And I'm trying to remember who played the first Russ. Was it Anthony Michael Hall? Yes. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sure, Dad. You think Mom will buy that? There's no way that character grew up to be the idiot that Ed Helms <laughs> plays in part five. And that's probably the thing i dislike most about that movie it's like betraying the narrative and it's like i don't know somewhere along the lines he got kicked in the head by a mule or whatnot and now we have this moron great but oh well the less said about part five ish the better <laughs> so moving on uh actually might as well cover christmas vacation while we're on it yeah that's what there's I was another say. we might yeah. as well just go straight into into that part yeah Mavis Staples. I guess I just didn't realize who sang the song. Yeah. I, I definitely knew it was, you know, the song at the beginning of the movie. Mm. I remember my ex somehow had never seen Christmas Vacation, and we arranged that, and she knew the song but didn't know the movie. And I was just, I remember being thrown by that. The song's not going to be as, I, guess, well, I mean, it is kind of memorable, but again, mm -hmm. I didn't know who sang it until, Yeah, you know, I, I kind of looked it up, so. But I mean, again, it's part of the movie. It, oh, sure it is. It's qualifications. And it definitely talks about it being Christmas, and it, the words "Christmas vacation" are in the in the song. So yeah, but it is a little bit like Holiday Road in the sense that, like I said, you can kind of separate it from the movie and hear it, and never really necessarily connect those dots. Yes, if you don't if you don't know, already know this is deeply entrenched in. Yeah, is that basically all you have to say? Yeah, about that's it? all I got on that. Right. It's, Fair enough. You know, um, it's fine. I, you know, but, uh, I'll go ahead and say my quick little piece then about this one. Uh, the Wrestler by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, have you seen The Wrestler? Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay, great movie. Yep. Probably deserved more accolades than it absolutely. got. And it got many of them. But yeah, uh, this was a song written specifically for the movie, specifically by Bruce Springsteen. And if I recall, he actually almost more than write it about the song, kind of wrote it about Mickey Rourke. Yes. But it fit. Oh, absolutely. And it, it, again, yeah. the you know the lyrics are somewhat obtuse, but it's like it does fit the overall feel and the overall theme and the narrative of the movie. Right. Which I'm assuming anyone listening here, if, you know, they're not familiar with it. It's called The Wrestler. It's about a, you know, past his prime wrestler who, and basically just, the hardships he has to deal with. It's a phenomenal After, movie. Yeah. Mickey Rourke was robbed of, of the, uh, the the main award there. I know he got he get the Golden Globe, I think. He got the Golden Globe, but yeah. Penn. He was nominated for right. it and but what, for the Oscar, but didn't win the, it, and he should have. He the, totally should have. The, the pos possibly the second most pissed I've ever been about a guy not winning an Oscar, the first being Stallone for Creed. Um, Up top. Yeah, no, no question about uh, it. I'm still not over that. Uh, but uh, angry because of how amazing Mickey Rourke was. And, and now I know some of it was he was kind of playing himself mm -hmm. because it was. But that's, you know. That, not He's not a pro wrestler, but that was kind of his story about trying to get back into the into the limelight. Well, the, and that's why Aronofsky wanted him for the part. Yes. Because he knew that, you know, what I'm writing here is basically Mickey Rourke. You know, he can deliver this. And the song mm. is a, is phenomenal. I think it also was nominated. I don't think it, it was. won. But uh, no, it, it was, was a weird. 
I remember being super pissed about this too. Hell, this might be, this might actually be second <laughs> over Mickey Rourke, uh, how mad I was for it not being nominated or something like that. Because I remember. I mean, to be fair, it also didn't win Best Picture, and I'm not, oh, yeah, not yeah. thrilled I, with that either. I didn't expect it to, I guess. But yeah, it wasn't even nominated for the for the Oscar for Best Song, which I thought, how in the world? It's an original piece of music written for. How can it not be nominated? Have you have you guys not heard this? Like, mm. are we like what am I what am I doing that's wrong here? I remember part of the rumor, and again, this is just rumor. There but was, yeah. okay, uh, this would have been the year. Well, technically the year before, but as far as award season goes, year of WrestleMania twenty five, mm-hmm. and there was the whole little thing where he was going to do something with Jericho, and at some point there was discussion of him having a match at WrestleMania 25 with Chris Jericho, which uh, turned out not... Well, probably for a good reason. Turned out not yeah. to happen. Yeah, he's not an actual wrestler, yeah, yeah, I would say. But I remember they did have like a standoff in the end, and he threw a really terrible fake punch, and Jericho sold it like he'd been knocked out. And uh, I remember hearing that, like, or some speculation that that might be part of the reason that the Academy didn't give it to him, like, just the political, like, just, like, you know, you've somehow defamed us by working with the company that actually, you know, puts on the product that's in the movie that you're selling somehow or whatever. I just remember thinking that was stupid, but oh well. And again, could just be a rumor. Don't know. It was, I, I remember one of the things was... Ebert changed everything, Roger Ebert, when he made the claim in an article about the song should not be over the closing credits to be considered. Like, it should be in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, after he said that, I know that changed it for a few years on how people thought about that when they went to nominate. Because there's only three, I don't know if it's different now, but I know then it was three songs. Right. That was that was all that were going to be nominated. Um, I'll but say I, over the years it's been... Somewhere in between three and five, depending. But mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, go there's these weird rules about how they go about nominating songs for Oscar. They, they and they don't really talk about it. But I remember people being pissed because that was right before Springsteen was going to play at the Super Bowl too. Right. Uh, and like he had just won a Golden Globe, played at the presidential inauguration, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, wait a minute. Even if even if he's not going to win. You'd have Springsteen playing at the Oscars. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want that? Because it's a, it's an amazing song. Look, it's a downer. For Which sure. is one of those things that all that to this year's always kind of bugged me about. Kind of bugged me about Suspiria. It's yeah. Like no matter what, you had a chance to have Tom York play the Oscars. People, you could have just kicked in a nomination for that. People anyway, who though, normally sorry. wouldn't yeah. have tuned in would have tuned in. Correct for for uh, York or for Springsteen. I think. Right. Uh, so and I and. So that one, that yeah, that's that's second. Mickey Rourke's third mm-hmm. because I I remember at least he was nominated. Yes. When I found out that this song was not nominated as haunting and and amazing and perfect as that song is, I so you're telling me there are three more original songs better than the, I, I was blown away by that. I'm I'm, I'm not over that. Yeah, politics. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, with that said, uh, I. Do believe we might have us a three part. Oh yeah, I think we can do here. this. I think so. just with what we have kind of yeah. procured for this, we could do one, maybe even two more. And, and this—that's the thing about the the beauty of this, because I know you'll send me links um, mm-hmm. about stuff you'll you find. This stuff is almost unending. Yeah, the 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 music from movies that that we love and 
fits my weird criteria of mm. the the lyrics being the song title or the movie. I mean, the movie title being the song title, something in the lyrics that came from the movie. So I think this is definitely one uh, that we can do a few different episodes on. And I, I want. I'm, it's a good thing that we're stopping it here because uh, Saint Elmo's Fire is twenty minutes easily by itself. And I guess that's a little tease that's for what teaser. will come next. Yes. Anyway, that's our episode. I bid you adieu.